California. Yeah. Um, yeah, we got John Eves. Uh, not Johnny Picard. Um, John Eves. The the yeah, man. Call me please. <laughs> JY. Um, from uh, Winnipeg, I think. Yeah, yeah, you got it. It's also the only place um, I learned a trivia question where they have a team named after the Bombers, the Blue Bombers, because the Melbourne yeah, Weather Essendon Bombers. We had a, yeah. yeah, last time we had a podcast, like you talked about the Blue Bombers, and I was really surprised. Yeah, because we have a team in Essendon for AFL Aussie for Rules football um, called the Bombers. Yeah, I, I don't know how that ever made any sense because like, we don't really have any Bombers down in Melbourne who I know of, but anyway... Um, yeah, not not too big on football though, but like still, I'm I'm really really impressed that you know about them. No, nah, it's just a trivia question because we have you know <laughs> I'll show you I'll show you it's crazy about sports. Like we, think... we have like the highest attendance league for in the world or something average for like a sport that like oh. 50 people watch. I know, but it's a lot, a few million people watch. But that's what it feels like. I think propaganda <laughs> from fucking. Um... Yeah, I think propaganda from um, Winnipeg as well. A fucking sick punk band. Oh yeah, actually we've got a we've got a pretty good music scene. Yeah, isn't it like an oil town? Well, no, a, not at all. That's Alberta, uh, I think. Yeah. Oh right, oil. okay. Oh, is that Edmonton? It was Alberta. Which one? No, Alberta's a province, right? I don't know. Yeah, Alberta's a province, and Edmonton yeah. is, I think, the biggest city or the yeah. Uh, the 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 oil is that's the one. Yeah. Exactly. That's how I know. Metal is mostly agriculture and mining as well, actually, up in the north. What's the... uh, Is it Saskatchewan or Manitoba? I can't... um, It's one of those. Is that the province? Yeah, the two provinces are Manitoba and Saskatchewan. Yeah, that's how you pronounce it. That's a very... Sounds very indigenous, that name. Um, Yeah. yeah, I think they're all indigenous names, aren't they? I don't know. Well, actually, now that you talk about it... um, Winnipeg itself is the city that has the highest, like, population of Indigenous people, like, uh, percentage-wise. Or, like, in, in Winnipeg, for example, um, 12% of Winnipeg are Indigenous, while, like, the national average of Canada is, like, 4 or 5%. Whoa. Okay. So, it's, like, Darwin yeah, so down in... Very- um, because most of the Indigenous people in Australia in, like, the far north... But I guess it's a bit harder to live in the far north in Canada because you kind of freeze. And yeah. I know there's a lot of indigenous people in the north, like Nunavut, Yukon, whatever the hell that is. Yeah, Nunavut. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, that's yeah, amazing. I, I think the northern territories are predominantly indigenous. Uh, same as Australia. Uh, most of the indigenous people up there. They have very low development areas though in Australia. Um, very unfair. Um, the, the living standards in some of the world. But like, in Australia, though, in the northern regions, are they, I thought they were tropical-like. Are, are yeah, they, yeah, like, yeah. Habitable? Are they? Um, okay. Well, Regan lives in the north, technically, northeast. It's the south part of the north. It's like, you know, you got Scotland, uh, then you got Yorkshire. It's like that. He's like the Yorkshire part, not the Scottish yeah. part. <laughs> Brisbane's the Goldilocks zone of Australia. It's not too hot, not too cold. It's just right. So. Nah, it's too hot for now. I remember it was too hot for me. <laughs> Melbourne's just right. A lot of rain. Good stuff. Just like Beijing. Kind What's of cold. Uh, probably Darwin. The NT. Northern Territories, we call it. Northern Territory. Yeah. Um, mm. it's, it's, 
it's really odd because that place is like I think like twenty percent indigenous. Then you also have a huge Chinese population because they were imported as laborers, and they don't they don't speak Mandarin. They speak like Cantonese. Um, then you got the rest right. of just white people. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I guess I guess you probably don't have a huge amount of Chinese people in Nunavut. I think because um, <laughs> unless the like, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd rather not say in case I'm saying something totally wrong here, but I also don't believe there's a big Chinese population in Nunavut. Um, yeah, no, not even in Manitoba. I, I think the Chinese population in Manitoba is something like 2%. Yeah. Um, so more considerably, you'd, you'd see larger populations in uh, in British Columbia. Oh, Yeah. There's that Honkuva thing, which was started by that guy we had an argument with on Twitter. Um, so I, um, I noticed that one Twitter user actually had seen the Yukon or something called Asta Yuan. She like tweets a lot. Oh, Asta. yeah, yeah. She, um, she, she has like a town of 20 people. I'm just like, that's so random. That's a Chinese person there. <laughs> I really have no idea that she was in Yukon this whole time. And then all of a sudden at some point, I think she would like reply to one of my tweets and said, oh yeah, by the way, I've been in yukon all this time or, or something like that i was like what yeah that's crazy that, that is yeah i'm just surprised um like how, how could you live with 20 people in the freezes and they're like do they just subsist on hunting i don't know yeah no see i i believe most of it is um like they get deliveries they get like food deliveries shipment and stuff um the north is like food is really really expensive up north i, I can't say how much i've, I've never been or, or lived up north but i'm told it's very expensive and so like it's it's very difficult to live without those shipments um oh, yeah. especially because like even the hunting wise there, there are a lot of regulations for uh you know for hunting hmm. um and i think like let's say I, I think the um a lot of the indigenous population up there maybe they might be more uh, knowledgeable about how you have to live up north. But yeah, then, uh, yeah. Apparently, they don't waste anything up there. The indigenous, like they used to eat every part of the animal because you know there's vitamins there, whatever. But yeah, uh, for most people that don't know, John Eves uh, is a Canadian um, living in Beijing, doing a master's in international relations, and he kind of got a bit of traction when he posted his pictures of uh, him volunteering uh, for the COVID response in Beijing. I think last year. Um, around media, yeah. I think. Was it half a year of volunteering? Yeah, essentially. It was like I, I volunteered from uh, beginning of March until like the end of August. Oh, so basically the, the peak period in China. Wow. Exactly. Kind of. So I wasn't peak, peak period because I came back to Beijing from Shandong province somewhere um, around the end of February. And oh. by that time, cases in Beijing were starting to go down. Okay. So, like, you said there's not many Chinese people in Manitoba. How did you get into, um, like, learning Chinese down there? Is that, like, Chinese school? or? It's a really good question. No. Um, actually, like, you know, like, the Confucius Institutes? Oh. They, oh, yeah. They don't, <laughs> they don't have any schools in Manitoba. So, um, I believe the, the Manitoban government actually, um, do, they don't allow them to establish schools there. So, no, um, me getting to learn Chinese is, uh, I guess it might be unusual for someone from Manitoba. Um, growing up, you know, like, there wasn't a single 
Asian student at school. Like uh, I went, I went to French high school or French elementary school, French high school, and like most of the people are either white or they're uh, or they're black. Oh. So, like you got a lot of people, uh, immigrants from Africa or, or black people who live there already. Um, so no, I, I believe. Did I, I teach Chinese? Or, like that's just so there's no, no confusion since she's like, down in Manitoba. Um, is it because like they think they're like spying on people or something? Or? Yeah, I'm not too sure why yeah. exactly. Um, I think there was that kind of concern. Um, yeah, Manitoba is a little strange like that. So no, I guess I got first, I guess, interested in um, Chinese history, but not like, not like um, the dynasty's history. I was more interested in the 20th century China history. That's because mm. I took the, I was in the IB program, right? The International Baccalaureate. And um, for our history, history class, we had like a big chapter on, uh, it was called like the rise and fall of communism. And so a large portion of that was about China. Now, um, the prof was okay, as in he, he taught a lot of stuff and it wasn't like, it was definitely a liberal perspective, but it was a bit more progressive than most professors would, would teach it, right? So um, uh, he would explain, you know, American imperialism abroad. He'd, he'd explain a lot of this stuff. And China's kind of like China's re rejuvenation was really fascinating for me and I really want to go see it for myself and then I guess after my bachelor's degree I not knowing really what I wanted to do exactly and being interested in politics I thought well okay I'll take a year or two uh, abroad and and so I went to um, I went to Shanghai but oh. I did take like in preparation I did take uh, a few semesters worth of Chinese at my university Right, so you, you you only took a few years, and you you you're pretty. Your Chinese is pretty good, like from what I've seen on Twitter and posting. Like you, you're better than. <laughs> I guess I guess the bar gets pretty set low by people like Stephen McDonald with his crap, but um, like honestly, I you're better than the yeah, people like, you've been like there for <laughs> twenty or thirty years. I don't know, did Regan, do you, do you have you seen the memes about the Stephen McDonald's Chinese skills? Uh, a little bit. Oh, I guess it, you got to be. It, it's really funny when you read it and you're like fluent in Chinese because it, it's 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 because he's so confident in it and he writes the fact that he actually says he's fluent in Mandarin when he's basically like a he's not even a, like he's probably worse than a toddler. It, it's very embarrassing. I don't know how he tricked ABC into hiring him with that kind of language skills. And, yeah. But, yeah, what's funny is I've seen a lot of people defend him and say that he you know he was hard studying in, in China, studying Chinese for 10 years or something. But then like, <laughs> oh, you wow. see the stuff that he writes and he doesn't, I mean. It's I, like I Google Translate. But actually, no, Google Translate is better. But he, he, the thing he writes right, might as well just be Google Translated. That actually will make more sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I did see the, you know, the memes of Mango Press. Uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess it's not fair to make fun of people for their language skills. But like Chinese people, they get made fun of their language, their English skills all the time. So, you know. Well, the thing is, is that I, I think it's okay <laughs> because he himself claims that he's really good. And not only that, like a lot of other people, for some yeah, reason. Yeah, yeah. They all like make him an expert man in Rin. I'm just like, oh my God, this is so bad. It, yeah, yeah. And it's really weird too, because like a lot of people, they, they post stuff like, it's almost like they're um, 
like trolls or like the robots where they say stuff like wow it's really great to see steven speak fluent mandarin at this oh news no no oh. that was actually a very respected uh, journalist who passed away not long ago but it it, it just showed oh, that um he probably cultivated a kind of a personality that he's like some super expert in china i don't know i, I mean i've met steven a few times in real life um he, he's quite cocky um and he he doesn't really he doesn't really speak to locals. <laughs> he just hangs out of the same crowd watching footy all night. Yeah, that's, that's really problematic. Um, same with Bill Bird. I, I, I'm not going to pretend like I'm, I'm good in any way. Like, Oh, no, you're way ahead of him. Um, just, just judging by what you, you can type and understand. And you're not... Like that time when he mistake, mistook um, uh, Chaochu people for Koreans in Hong Kong. That, and he, and he, he died down. Like he just stood there. He, he 100% believed that they were Koreans. Even though everyone's like, oh, they're, no, they're not Koreans. And he wouldn't like let it go. Like he's so... When people pointed it out, he still kept defending his, like what he said. Yep. How embarrassing yeah, is that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, there's Chinese people pointing out you've got something incorrect. And he's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm right. You, you're wrong. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm sure that went really well. Yeah, yeah, that's that's how he got famous. Then he started doing that weird, if you are the real human, gender, 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 or some shit, that kind of weird. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> well, he's, like, he's like, are you a are you a woman or are you a real human being? <laughs> but it's like, are you a real space species of human being? Like, yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, that's I guess you probably see a lot of those people with that in Beijing because yeah, you're right. They're Ming Dynasty, right? Or Yes, correct. So I'm at, oh, uh, I'm at exactly. That's the People's University. At the moment, it's um, like a lot of universities, they're closed down. And I just, I'm pretty lucky that I live outside of campus because then, you know, if, if I was still living on campus, I'd have to stay on, on campus and I'd, you know, it'd be, I'd have very limited opportunities to leave campus. Oh, so you don't live okay. on campus? No, no, I don't. I mean, it's a yeah, and it's one of the one of the reasons why I, you know, I had the opportunity to actually, you know, be a volunteer. Um, there actually was another person. There was another student in my school who did volunteer, but like in a different capacity. Uh, so his name is um, uh, his name's Bindi. I believe he's a student from Uganda okay. and um, he, what he did was um, there was like a, like a blood donation kind of initiative that happened at school during the pandemic. And so he was one of the volunteers that like helped set up the area, uh, guided people in and out, gave them instructions. So um, that was really good, but that was a, that was a totally different experience. And I got to meet him actually after, after like the main lockdown, because at some point in June, I believe, June or July, uh, they let some of the students now leave to do stuff like, let's see if they need to go to the bank or stuff like that. So I, one of the journalists from China Radio International was able to get me and him in, in contact. And so we got to have lunch together. Really cool guy. Oh, yeah. It sounds awesome. So he's from um, Uganda. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's let's see. That's that's a thing you don't see much in Melbourne because we have a lot of international students, but very um, they're mostly either from China or Europe, or 
South America these days. Um, you don't get many people from Africa for some reason. I, I don't know why. Uh, but in China, when I go to Beijing, or especially in, down in the southern province, there's so many um, African international students. Um, yeah. It, it's, it's, it's a big surprise. Yeah. It's, um, you know, a very diverse yeah. student population, I believe. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've met people from Mauritius, um, you know, like Romanians. Like, you, you, it's just international students you don't really get from the other countries. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. It's one of the things I was really looking forward to coming to, uh, you know, studying Beijing. Is that like in Canada, I, I think we'd get mostly some like students from mostly the same countries. But then in China, um, you know, I got to meet people from Azerbaijan. Um, I personally didn't, didn't get to meet uh, students from the BPRK, but I know a lot of other students actually did meet and speak to and even make friends with uh, students from the BPRK. So like there are yeah. students from different areas that like me and Canada, I, I probably would never have any contact with. Like I met somebody from Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, yeah. all the Stan countries. I do, I do Stan. They, they, they're really cool. Like um, it, it's really odd because some of them are like fully Russian, but they still identify as like from that area. And you're like, oh, interesting. Because, hey. you know, there's like a deeper thing going on there. Uh, apparently Russians get treated better. And anyway, um, yeah. So what was the experience like? Did you just basically had to like uh, uh, usher people around or is that what it was? Because I saw you had like a sort of a community, like police, like community neighborhood watch kind of armband on you. Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah. when I signed up, like on my first day, I think they, they put me on a job, I think the day after I signed up or like two days afterwards. And they gave me um, a vest, an armband. And yeah, it was like the community watch uh armband and um they told me to uh they gave me like the you know those um infrared kind of like temperature check machines oh yeah yeah we have the melt either our heads yeah exactly and uh so my job was like stand at the community gates um take people's temperatures you know people coming coming into the community take their temperatures check their entry and exit permits um and then yeah and then like other there were other little jobs here and there, uh, if needed, like for example, um, delivering people's YMI or their quite if ever, like, let's say there was an elderly person that, you know, didn't want to come down too often, come down the stairs, so he will pick up their quite So every now and then, you know, I, I could be delivering those to their door. Yeah. Quite means like, like food. So like DoorDash kind of food delivery. And right. Good. Right. No, yeah, exactly. yeah, Cause a lot of, a lot of, a lot of people don't speak realize don't speak Chinese. <laughs> um, is that hey. the is that the one with the can the kangaroo symbol or? Oh, that's made one. <laughs> oh yeah, that's made one. Uh, that's one of the brands. Yeah, basically that's what it is. Yeah, in a way. Sometimes that's the food one. There's like ten yeah. of them in China now, right? Like there are a few. Uh, I know there's like there's made one, right? There's uh, Uluma. Uluma. Yeah. There's also Sherpas. Sherpas is. I think it was mostly popular in Shanghai, but I think I've seen them around Beijing as well. Ooh, Sherpas. That just sounds kind of unfair to Nepalese. <laughs> then again, there's the kangaroo yeah, one, which yeah. confused me. Because I thought, is that Australian owned? But it's actually not. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, um, so, yeah. The experience yeah. is really good. Um, Did I find it weird? Like, you're like a white dude, like, doing this? And, like, they're like, oh... Wow, that's random. Actually, mostly no. Oh, really? 
Whereabouts do you live, though? Like in in like which did you, what did you do? Um, which part of the city? In New England, Beijing, people don't know me. I was in the Haidian district, so oh, specifically yeah. it was like Haidian Jiedao. That was like the Jiedao Ban Shu, or like the streets level uh, administration of like Haidian Avenue, I believe, in in the Haidian district. Oh, so very much the very local grassroots government, like the very yeah, exactly. level. Oh, so basically yeah. a lot of people, that I, like I, I remember going to one of those places and everyone that was actually running were just like 60 year old uncles and aunties. That those are the type of people. That's like basically oh, like, a, like, uh, like the volunteers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like they have these, they're like some weekly oh, meetings yeah. and, and it's like, I don't know, they probably do a lot of important work, but it was, sounds like most of them, they're just people getting along with each other and like, it's like, yeah, we should have like a community garden or something. And it's like, that's the kind of vibe I got. Yeah, no, I... <laughs> Actually, I, your vibe's not off. Like a lot of the people who work for either the neighborhoods committee, or uh, or volunteers for the neighborhoods committee, like they, they're mostly, I believe, people forty and up, uh, mostly maybe around fifty years old, some some in their sixties sometimes, um, and and yeah, they they do a lot of nice stuff. It's like you know they they work on the the community garden, they organize activities either for kids or like for the other elderly in the neighborhood. Yeah. Um, of course, like, I can't say that I know that much about what's going on, but, like, because of the opportunity, I did get a chance to write a paper about it. Uh, so I did do a little bit of background reading about them. And um, for a long, according to this paper, people apparently, like, a lot of people, a lot of residents don't actually really know what the, like, what the neighborhood committees actually do. Um, yeah. but like they do serve a purpose like historically I believe they had a larger purpose in society but then you know over time they became more of an organization to help either the elderly or vulnerable populations or you know uh, activities for kids yeah I think they have a big role still in uh, rural areas where they I think that's the village level like twins yeah are, they might have yeah. larger roles in rural areas but in, in the city areas because it, it, it's not as important because it's much more condensed and basically the municipal yeah. government can or the district government can just take over in that sense because i know yeah a lot but, of um low-level uh, bachelor graduates they always yeah. go to the villages to become village chiefs or some crap yeah yeah sorry what did you say right yeah no, I was gonna say, like the neighborhood communities they've actually grown in importance like in other areas so like for example they have been useful for uh, for mass mobilization. And this was for events like, for example, the, the Olympics in 2008, you know, when there were a few initiatives that if initiatives would happen, then they'd ask the neighborhood committees to help out to, you know, help either mobilize people or to uh, instruct people on how to do certain things or to, to help out. Um, so then, yeah, uh, they've, I, they've grown in importance or like it depends on the kind of things that happen or like the the events or you know whatever needs to be done mm, yeah i mean chinese movements i mean well they're only a very but they feel very uh prideful of their service when they do it they're like yes i get to stand by the light and press the lights you know they're like yeah i did it and, and i guess it's yeah. cool because they have a sense of purpose um and they feel like they're helping the community um but yeah uh, but I've seen I mean, some, that's how i felt yeah <laughs> But I've seen some very annoying uncles yeah. back in the day, I remember. Um, but anyway, that's each to their own, <laughs> you know, because they're like, yes, I finally got some minuscule amount of power. 
but yeah oh yeah, yeah. no I, but you know that happens to any yeah, kind of organization yeah. Um, yeah for yeah. me it was like you know at some point later on i think it was sometime in in may or june they started giving out like um you know flour and rice and uh, and cooking oil to to the volunteers and so you know i i felt pretty good receiving you know flour and rice and cooking oil is is pretty good feeling yeah that's not bad you actually get some return um well, yeah I, we... I still have a lot of it too like rice lasts a long time yeah i, I don't know do we i guess i don't really know how to do we have a equivalent in australia regan like these low-level community things i'm just it's, i'm just trying to think like not so much government related it seems to me like we have uh like charities i guess that might be like church-based like St. Vinnie's or we'll have Red Cross, maybe St. John's Ambulance to the people. I'm just trying to think. We're talking about like mobilization of of the population to, to join together for a certain cause. It seems to be like largely thanks to fucking neoliberalism, it's just still contracted out to private companies these days. Oh, yeah, a lot and of even mm. Yeah, and even like for example, my mum worked for a, a job service provider, which in Australia helps people who are unemployed get jobs. She worked for a, a subsidiary of um, St Vincent de Paul, which is a Catholic church, but they just had like a contract with you know the federal government. So yeah, it does seem to be very. At the end of the day, profit is. Wait, Vinny's got contracts on the feds. That's what. Absolutely. I thought they were funded by stuff. the church. That's, I mean, that's a new, something new. <laughs> okay. No, well, um, yeah, no, and what's the, and Salvation Army, they're massive as well. And oh, yeah, one, yeah. one of the big issues with these sort of organizations is, um, particularly Salvation Army, like if, if they've got a government contract to run, say, a woman's shelter or, um, place for homeless kids or whatever and they've got some sort of uh, religiously motivated person running there who has an issue with say homosexuality or trans uh that's they get kicked out pretty easily and stuff so um pretty pretty rough and i'm just i'm interested in in how how china um has it so these organizations are Still, it's still related to the like the local council. You well, they're, they're, they're meant to be the lowest level of governance in China. Um, right. Yeah. So remember that guy I tweeted, it's like Mohammed Omar, who's like that Uyghur cadre. He's like yeah. that level of basically the lowest. So he's in a village, so he has more con- like it's more important because they're actually managing the whole village that's run. But because how a city is, you know, doesn't really matter if that one street, like that one street, is going to be taken care of because it's all pretty condensed yeah it's a bit different yeah so um so they're basically they have a level that's underneath the council for them that idea in china because it's so many people right so are we talking like is this decided by like like a block um yeah basically of, a street of... like a street of people like tia right uh yeah exactly yeah like a street 
but that, that could be like 100,000 people in China. That's a lot of... <laughs> so... Right. Um, They're basically sub-districts. Yeah. But that's sort of... Um, that organization, they, they don't have like the authority to like uh, apply taxes or, or laws and such, do they? No, but there's some like... I think some zoning cause, or some yellow, like they can mobilize people and they can also do some governing, just, you know, very like council level stuff. Uh, in Australia, because I know the one in Nyutia, like in the south, they can govern. They they have some control over the mosque, um, in the more Muslim heavy areas in, in Beijing. Because I remember it was like there was like a sign like this is this place is maintained by the sub district of something something south Beijing. Uh, yeah, and I was like, oh, interesting. Okay. And the office was next door, so obviously they're not they're not like spying on a mosque or anything. I I don't know if they are, but I, that could some people might think that's what's happening, but no. <laughs> so jy um, when you said you were like checking um like uh well, ids or whatever is this was this yeah. get into like um residential compounds or something then yeah so people were given these ids once they finished quarantine or like you know for example me I, when i came back to beijing from shandong province like uh, i did my quarantine for two weeks at my apartment and then afterwards i could apply to get like this um, this little pink card or pink slip that had my picture on it, my address, and then my phone number. Uh, and then that would be my entry and exit permit. And I would show this every time I re-enter uh, like the compound. And it would always be volunteers checking this sort of stuff? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, volunteers, but also actually um, at the beginning before the, like the health app, right? It was called, it's called Dankanbao in Chinese, but the health app, you know, the, uh, it's like that app that where you scan a code and it, it tells you or it tells the institution or the establishment, whether, you know, you were still, you know, in, whether you've left the city or not type of thing. Yeah. Before that was mainstream, uh, other areas in the city would actually check whether you have your entry and exit card or whether you have one, because like every compound or every like community had their different entry and exit card some I, I think might not even have uh cards like they're not used anymore but back then like even i tried to go um walk over to Tiananmen square at one point and uh, you know the the guards were making sure that like they they asked if i had an entry and exit community card okay and so, so yeah, is and there just, like that you yep. indeed have like you know permission to leave your compound type of thing right and like uh for something like that to happen in australia there was always going to be um someone who's gonna uh i don't know be difficult and stuff like i guess uh, how, how, how do everyone react because how do people react to this sort of level of um i don't, I don't want to say control yeah, it would be perceived as that as in Australia, I guess. Um, like, it's, yeah, how, 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 was, how was it perceived, I guess, is my question. <laughs> oh, like, how was it perceived in China? Yeah. Probably positively, I'm guessing. Like, it's something that I used to it, or how does... Yeah. Um, I, from what I can tell from people's attitudes, like, you know, as I was standing there checking people's IDs, it wasn't everybody that felt like they needed to show their IDs. Um, 
you know, people are the same pretty much everywhere in the world. Like it's, it's not true. Let's say that Chinese people are like particular more, particularly more prone to listen to authority or anything like it's not true. Like people definitely, you know, they, they do what they want. Um, yeah. So of course, like a lot of people really thought it was annoying that I would ask for their IDs. Um, but I mean, you know, they understood and they would comply because, you know, uh, it, it keeps everyone safe at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw similar happen in Melbourne because every time there was a lockdown happened, we, we had, I think, three lockdowns there already. Um, the Chinese students were quite like, oh, this is, this is reasonable, you know, we don't want to get it out of control. Um, and this kind of complied, most of them. Yeah. Um, well, my, my more... Um, the Caucasian friends they were like oh not again I wasn't going out this week and get drunk or some shit and they got really pissed and started swearing like fucking Dan Andrews and shit and it's um, funny lots yeah, of I have to you know swipe in every time so I go to a restaurant and stuff and sometimes I'll be at a table and and everyone it'll be like oh you check in and stuff and some will be like oh I'm not going to check in but uh <laughs> Like there's there's no reason for them not to. It's just like a I don't know I don't know what the motivation there is. Yeah, this is very. This is America kind of vibe. <laughs> yeah, it's um. It's just it's it's kind of like um, rebelling for no reason, I guess. It's like yeah, I want to kill everyone. Fuck you. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> uh, in our community, we had a case where this uh, this American guy actually like he jumped a wall and escaped. Wow, that's pretty American. (laughs) (laughs) What happened to him? (laughs) Well, not much, actually. Like, because in the end, his particular case wasn't too serious. And, like, the police by then, like, knew about him. So they kept watch on him. Um, But, like, let's say if they didn't know about him earlier, and if they only found out about him later, it would have been a lot more serious. But yeah, like the uh, the other community workers, as I was, you know, volunteering with them, they they didn't stop talking about him for like a couple of weeks. Yeah, because he's right. like basically endangering the entire community, and yeah. Um, and anyway, it's <laughs> that's pretty American, though. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, he's probably gonna become a China watcher when he gets back. So <laughs> it's like I was held under, you know, without my authority or some shit. <laughs> So what, what's yeah. what's the motivation for other people to for Chinese people to to volunteer? And Tim mentioned this. I guess a minority of like could have loved the power. Um, yeah, what's what's the motivation there to be National involved? Pride, I think as well. Honestly, most volunteers, as I said before, are like forty-five and older, and so I believe most of them are people who have already retired and you know. Um, they, it, it's part of it's a, there's a community aspect to it and so i i believe they joined because you know it, they they're retired already they they can it, it gives them something to do i i, I don't know how to how else to put it yeah um, a sense so of like, purpose. There, there wasn't anyone else that was younger um i was by far the youngest oh actually no there's one guy that volunteered later on but yeah, uh, that might no, be, he might be stat padding for his uh, party party entrance. You know, he can write it in his essay. It's like, yeah, yeah, he was that. adding stuff on his resume. Yeah, yeah, that, that's so a, that's if, one way. Yeah. So a younger person can get some sort of, uh, um, yeah, points with either party or, or or their employers or something if they do this. Sort it's of thing, it's or? like you know, volunteer for something like you volunteer for 
a hosp like a Red Cross in in Australia. You get like you put that on yeah. resume, you know, so you can get a first job eventually. Um, that's some good experience, you know, can, you know, helping out of COVID. Um, I guess because yeah, it's sense community, I guess because I, I remember my grandma was getting recruited by the by the yellow grannies playing mahjong with her. Like, yeah, come along, you know, we're all there, and the lady she doesn't want to, you know, get FOMO, <laughs> you know, to yeah. do whatever they were doing that night. You know, you you go to so a little we, meeting. Yeah. Um, we just step back a bit. We're talking about people in their late forties who've retired. Um, that's that's something wild for an Australian to hear as we kind of work to at least our mid sixties here. So what, what's the deal with retirement in, in China? Late, late forties late 40 is probably an exaggeration. Like they're probably in their, their fifties. I think but usually like, it's just older people. Yeah. yeah. Just seeing people in their fifties and sixties, they're often, you know, retired. Like a lot of people I believe already retired by like in their mid fifties or like, you know, by 60, they're definitely retired. Um, but like retirement age in general, I, I can't tell you what exactly the age is, but it is, it, it, it's been lower. changed a lot. It's very low yeah. in China. Um, it used to be longer. And I remember one of my aunts was complaining that she reached like, I think it was like 60 or 55 or something. Uh, something like that. Oh, it's 55 for women. Yeah, that's right. Um, and she got really angry because she's like, I'm 55. I'm pretty young. I can still work. Um, yeah. And she's like, why can't um, I be my longer? Professor, I, um, yeah, exactly. My, my professor of Chinese... Uh, it was uh, Chinese social studies at Agenda was, was saying the same thing where she's, she thought it was really unfair that women had to, um, had to, uh, oh, sorry, I'm losing my words. And I'm blanking it's called Xiagang. They call it Xiagang. Uh, they had to retire. Yeah. Early. Yeah. So she, she thought it was really unfair and she thought, you know, women should be allowed to work longer as well. Because men can do 60. I, I don't know how that works as women live longer than men as well. And usually healthier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause, yeah. I mean, fifty is middle age. It's like proper middle age for a, for a woman. Yeah, and that's. Um, yeah. But it's it's, it's not a forced retirement, is it? Uh, it's, it's for public servants. Um, it is. I think. Uh, I'm not sure actually. It won't be because you can probably still keep working. But um, they pr- could make you redundant, and it will make you harder to find jobs. Right. Yeah. And for teachers as well, teachers, it's it's more of a forced retirement. Yeah, it's like they, they will like start, you know, try to push you out. Um, it's a lot of it's also to do because there's so many people that need jobs as well. So you can't, and and you get a pretty cushy pension if you're a public servant. So um, I, I know that some of my um, family members got free houses, but that was like 20 or 30 years ago. So <laughs> I don't know if they still give free houses because that would be a very cushy retirement thing. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it, it's, I know the welfare system has got a lot better now in China as well. Like, uh, it used to be really shit, like really low amounts, but now because the stands have risen, so everything's gone up. Uh, I'm not too sure how much they get per month though, but, um, yeah, they, they, so a lot of old people don't really have much to do in China. So they just, I don't know, go on WeChat and shit post or go on Twitter sometimes. <laughs> I, uh... I love the 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 gifs or the gifts that that they send on WeChat. Yeah, like old people, they in China that there's like there's like a Chinese boomer kind of culture. Regan, yeah. If you ever see it, you will laugh, and it's very cringe. Uh, especially the older ladies similar. and the guys, they have that kind of they love that type of filter where it's very 
makes them look very flowery and sort of 80s. I don't know how yeah. to describe this. <laughs> oh, exactly. I find um, them very similar to like um, older people on Facebook in the West. Oh, yeah. They, they, dude, some of them are very, like, they're very conservative <laughs> socially. Um, they always complain about new people, like the zero zero generation or the 90 generation. Oh, yeah, Ling Ho. Yeah, Ling Ho. Um, yeah, Chinese boomers, it's pretty hard to hang out with them. I think it's like that for every country, the boomers. But, um, they, 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 they do care a lot more, I think, um, Chinese boomers about the future than because they really care about their grandkids. Um, I'm not, of course, everyone cares about the grandkids, but in China, they're like obsessed with making everything perfect for like the grandchildren. Like, it's really obsessive. Like they put so much money to like into yeah, cheering yeah. and everything. I found them really nice. Oh yeah, they are very nice. Yeah, unless you have like one, because yeah. then, then they start comparing the grandkids. Like, oh, my grandkid only got nine nine point nine six on his test. It's like, oh, he's so dumb. And it's just like, oh, shut up. Um, uh, yeah, and no, I see the the situation was was a lot different for me. <laughs> well, they'll, they'll be amazed because you like you spoke Chinese. Like, oh, no way, he can speak Chinese. <laughs> I don't know. Regan, have you met any Chinese boomers? Well, I mean, we have the, the, the Chinese boomers that I interact with. Um, they're all, they're all cafe owners because I work for a coffee company. Um, but I don't know if they're, does, so are the, the generations in China, are they mapped out the same as in the West as in, you know, boomers? The more decades kind of thing. More like decades. Because was was there yeah. a, a population boom after World War Two in China? That oh, huge, to... huge. Um, oh, so my mum's generation and dad's generation, they like all have six plus kids at the minimum, <laughs> and my generation has wow. one to two. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wait, yeah. When, well, yeah. My mum. generation. When, when was that? Sixties. Uh, Wow. Okay. okay. So, so, so she's not really a baby boomer then. She's that's that's probably Generation X. Yeah. Baby boomers. So basically, after the Civil War, um, I think there was some. There was actually something Mel asked, like for them to everyone have a lot more kids or something. I can't remember. But when did the one child policy come in? It's like seventy nine. I think seventy eight. Something like that. Oh really? Oh, okay, that's yeah. quite later on then. So I have twelve aunts. Yeah, like. For... <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, um, and two uncles only though, so mostly girls in my family, and same with cousins. Mm. Yeah, all female cousins for some reason. Um, uh, and it's it, similar it, for me, but like the opposite, where um, my dad he's got seven brothers and sisters, but like they're all boys, and I've got like two aunts. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it was kind of like the West, I guess. It was a lot more kids in that generation, so you, you, that's why I'm yeah, trying to and age like. My French Canadians, so my family, you know, being Catholic, uh, that generation, they had a lot of kids. Yeah, and that's why, yeah, exactly. Catholics, and because China's aging, things getting so bad, because one, this one-child policy, most families only have one kids, unless they're minorities, or they breach the law, because they're really rich. Um, this means that that one kid, we have to support, like, multiple, like, people who are o- older than them, next generation. Yeah. And um, that's why they're like calling for an increase of the retirement age now. 
which will be the first time ever in like Chinese, like the last 50 years. Yeah. Uh, who knows? I'm also wondering, actually, do you know anything about like, um, apparently some areas are, are considering uh, removing the family planning policy, like removing that policy where, you know, families can only have uh, two kids. Like, for example, I think I read an article about uh, Dongbei specifically. Yeah. North, A lot of people were making jokes about that. Yeah. Were they? Tell me about that. Because they're like, yes, we're all going to move to Dongbei and have 50 kids now. Yeah. Because <laughs> okay. Dongbei, um, you know, because it's basically like the Detroit of China. You know, it's just industrial. That's, that's rough. Well, that's what it is. Like, everyone's... Like it's rough. I mean, I don't know, but... Yeah. I mean, it's... it's the crime's not as high. That's well, obviously, but um, there's no jobs there because it's all it's all like you know manufacturing, like mining, and it's it's all kind of outdated. And uh, so, like I, I just remember going anywhere I go south. I go to the Hainan. I go to Fujian. All the workers, like working the low-level jobs, are from Dongbei or Henan. But you know, and you can realize because they have such rough accents. Because my family's from Dongbei. <laughs> and they're like um and they're all quite tall and pale looking and so the, the thing is Dongbei's i think Dongbei's population is actually decreasing quite drastically in the last few years because of that the huge migration due to the economic issues so i i, I can see that being a good reason to so um it might actually draw people back for like Dongbei to go back um there mm. I, I wonder how that's going to affect like you know when people talk about china russia relations um, I don't know if they still say this, but I think maybe a decade or two ago, they would be talking about how, you know, they theorized that maybe Russia would one day cede some areas of like Siberia back to China because like uh, they, they thought that maybe like China's due to China's like increasing population and like interest in, and I think logging or other kind of work in, you know, in the Siberia area. Yeah, that'll be uh, that Russia would seed land, but like if the population's going down in Dongbei, then like is that even gonna happen? Well, it's still huge. I mean, uh, in Dongbei. I think Dongbei still has more pop people than all of Siberia combined. <laughs> but you know, it's hard, I, I, yeah. it's hard to imagine um Russia you know, giving giving land away. Because they're very nationalistic, yeah. Yeah, but oh, yeah. I mean I guess happen. there's still gonna be Chinese immigration to those areas. It's gonna have to you know, the world those areas will get populated eventually. Well, the, the biggest thing is Vladivostok and um, out of Manchuria, which was actually the homeland of the Manchus that Russia still controls. That was seen in, um, I think, 1861, the Treaty of Aigun, because um, China was fighting the Taiping Rebellion and they couldn't really do anything about a Russian encroachment. They just gave it up. Um, that, that's actually quite important for Manchus because that's like kind of their home um, part, like half the home country. Um, so that that's that would be actually have like a proper reason because there's still Manchu. There's like a lot of Manchus still living in that area, and you know they're more ethnically closer to China because they did rule of China for like 300 years um, than Russia. Um, so I could see that maybe, but that you have, we have to be after Putin does because Russia at the moment they 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 they're basically thriving on nationalism and sort of. <laughs> You know. Well, actually, um, Putin just said this week that um, that uh, like Russian nationalism is is kind of dumb, and that um, what? <laughs> yeah, I can't, uh, yeah, he was like, we need because you know, I kind of in the response to the ultra nationalism that um, Navalny sort of spouts. He's like, no, we have to ex- we have to accept that other cultures exist within this country, and 
Um, That's very smart because especially with Siberia, most of the people there, you know, that, yeah, that you would have to say that if you want to keep Siberia for the future. Yeah. Well, if you're a, a Russian capitalist and you want to set up business, uh, you know, it's for, for factories or mining or whatever, like, what a great idea to import a bunch of, of cheaper Chinese labor. Um, I don't know how, how cheap the Chinese labor is these days, but to, to, to bring people in, it might be easier than to, to bring people from, from Western Russia, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Vladivostok is because of the nature of importance. It's, it's a mostly white Russian city. Um, and it, it's odd because uh, in China, especially, I've noticed a very big way on how Russians are treated. So Siberian Russians, because they look basically like uh, Mongols or Dongbei people, they get treated a lot worse than white Russians who get that. They can even teach English in China, while Siberian Russians can't. Um, so I, I'm not sure how they're treated in Russia, but it, it does seem kind of unfair for them as well. They don't get a lot of the benefits when they come to China anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, and... Um, I don't know. I saw some videos where people like Siberian Russians get asked a lot when they go to Moscow, like, where are you from? Because <laughs> they look Asian and that must be very awkward. Uh, you know, since most of the land's used as like um, exploited for mining and oil. Yeah. 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 And uh, the, the, another fact is in the early 1900s, before the, the Japanese fully invaded Manchuria, um, the, the, the most hated people in Northeast were actually Russians because they did a lot of genocide and mass massacres on Chinese and Manchus in that area. It was only until after 1931 when Japan took over and did even worse, did that kind of um, switch around and, you know, Russia became allies with China. Yeah. So it, it's, it's a very uh, complicated area in Northeast, despite what people think. Um, there's a lot of different groups um, and a lot of different stakeholders uh, and that, that, that's a whole nother thing we could talk about. I'm, I'm not sure if you've been to Northeast John Eves anyway. <laughs> Have you? Or? Yeah, I've been to, I, I did a whole trip with my brother once. Um, we went up to Harbin and then we went down to like Zilin province where we went to go see like the, the rhyme trees in the winter. And then we went down to Shenyang and then also to Dandong right next to the, uh, right next to the DPRK. Oh, nice. Rep Shenyang. That's where my... Yeah, it was a really, really good trip. Yeah, they still have the old... Um, I think the old Manchu palaces down in Shenyang before they entered China. Yeah. No, that's exactly what I went to see as well. They're really, really nice, nicely preserved. I've actually never been there, despite my family being... Because it's like a kind of a tourist place and I've got taken there. I, sh- I don't know. I don't know. Is it just a mini replica of the Forbidden City or... It's really similar. Um, when you say you haven't been there, you mean like you, you've been to Shenyang, but you've never been taken to the palace, right? Yeah, never. Every time I go to oh, Shenyang, yeah. 90% of it's a funeral, sadly. So. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. Yeah. No. yeah. Um, it, is, it is really nice, though. If you get a chance to go again, like I'd recommend it. Yeah, yeah. But I notice there's a lot of Christians nowadays. So um, right next to my family's mosque, there's now, there's now like a Christian school. I don't know why they built it right next to the mosque. Very suspicious. But anyway. Not saying, way, not, nothing bad about that. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually wondering, since I, I read somewhere that Christianity, for example, is like the growing or the fastest growing religion in China. And yeah, I, I wonder like, how, 
how do people join uh, religions in China? Like, how how is this the fastest growing religion? You look at the Henan, all the rural areas. There's heaps of like um, white dudes running around spreading it. Um, oh, so one of the guys in the Australia uh, like Council or Foundation for Na- for Relations of China, on a far back or right of the photo, uh, Rowan Kalik, he was a uh, correspondent for China for the Australian. I had I had coffee with him, right? And he basically told me, I think he had Alzheimer's because he kept forgetting his own name. <laughs> anyway, um, he, he was like, oh, he had a grand vision that China will be the next sort of like, like kingdom of heaven or something. Oh. He said that. Something like that. Yeah. And, and, and he's like, because like, have you been to Hunan? I'm telling you, there are so many Christians. It's like God is being found in China. And now, and you know, he, he in, at the same time, he was writing all these like conspiracy theories about Chinese students being spies in Australia while he was... He was British. writing for the Australian for a long time, right? Yeah, yeah. He was recently retired. Now he's on the fa- uh, Foundation Council for Relations, whatever, uh, with, uh, you know, Catherine and all those people. Um, yeah, and basically, oh. he, he studied theology, I think, in uni. So he's really, he's like really, really um, devout. And I just listened to his whole spiel about the kingdom, like the new, you know, where God's going to be found, all this... And I, I just assume there's a, and there's also another very famous person that does that, known as Tom Fowdy. Uh, oh my goodness! Wait, does he? No. Uh, well, he, he was a Mormon missionary in Australia for like 2012. He was in That's Perth right. and Brisbane, and wow. he he had blog posts from like 2014 where he saw Australia as like China as a potential developing area for Mormonism, and so a lot of uh, missionaries are attracted to China because it's you know there's a lot of atheism and perhaps people were trying to find a way to find hope and they target a lot of Hui villages as well because Hui I guess they're already spiritual especially in Hunan they're more traditional and they think maybe you know they could easily convert them um, but yeah well and um, I think me and you were talking about this to me they they target um like the a lot of the minority groups in like Yunnan the Lisu like, you were talking about right yeah, the, particularly the least. I was, uh, there's a cool um, talk um, at the, the Thailand Foreign Correspondence um, Club or whatever it is talking about um, talking about that. They all got kicked out during the um, Cultural Revolution, but they've all, they've all come pouring back in now. Um, and because they have like um, like nativist, uh, what's, the, what's the word? Animist religions, you know, spirits and all that sort of stuff. Mm. I'm not yeah, I don't. I don't know how fucking <laughs> how missionaries work, but uh, well, they're um, really nice people. Because I had one in high school, really good friend of mine. He actually, he actually grew up in Nepal, um, and I'm on Tibetan refugees, and they were trying to convert them from Buddhism to Christianity. Uh, right. One of the nicest guys I've ever met, though. And they are nice. Like it's. I well, I, I mean, that's how they draw you in. Yeah. I wonder if I cross paths with Fowdy because I used to have a bit of a rapport with a bunch of. Um, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. They used to come into my house about five years ago in Brisbane there. <laughs> well, he's um, known as Elder Fowdy back then. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they, all, they all had their like nerd outfits with like the, the black ties and the, the, what, the nice clean white t-shirt. Yeah, what's stuff. with that? They, they just look so nerdy. Like they just get bashed in Australia. Like you walk around like that usually. Well, that's the thing. Like most, they knock on most doors and someone will tell them to F off. Um, but I was always trying to, at the time, I was trying to make them anarchists. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> I'd chat with them and stuff. Because I had nothing better to do. Um, 
So, yeah, um, I just wonder if maybe Fowdy came to my front door sometime. <laughs> oh, small world. Yeah. I mean, he's done some pretty like, interesting stuff. Um, so, he basically connected North Korea with, like, this random Division 7 soccer club called Blythe Spartans. But, yeah, he... He, he does his work, and I, I, I've, I've just noticed that he, around 2018, he actually started being actually, um, actually truly believing, being pro-China, and he stopped, he deleted all his racist stuff. So, maybe he has changed, I don't know, but, you know, what he's done is just not forgivable in a lot of senses. But I, for That's me, a, it's anyway. a weird pivot. Um, yeah. To suddenly go pro-China, like, you oh, we put some four hearts on and wonder what's going on there. But. I just don't know if he's actually still doing that missionary crap, you know what I mean? But uh, yeah, it's anything uh, kind of work really suspicious. Yeah. I mean you've probably met some missionaries, um John Neves. You don't even know it. Cause... Yeah, very likely. I mean during one of my travels down like and well in the West, uh, traveling with my dad, I did run into like three missionaries that live in Suzhou. Um Suzhou in right. Gansu or in Jiangsu? Oh no no sorry Suzhou in uh uh, yeah, yeah, in Jiangsu, not non Gansu, but yeah. Um, I don't know, I've, I've, I've met very few missionaries, but like, I don't know, maybe, maybe I just didn't know they were. Yeah, I mean, a lot of them disguise themselves as English teachers, or they can't even get in the country. Um, yeah. So, or they're tourists, you know, they just always keep touring the same village every fucking year. Um, they were, like, there was that big story of a missing, missing Mormon in uh, Yunnan who was never found, and he was a missionary. And it was just very uh, odd, you know. And they say got kidnapped yeah. by North Koreans. I'm like, he's probably just stayed there and started spreading more whatever Mormonism. Because um, yeah. Mormons are huge around Chinese culture in Melbourne. They all can speak fluent Chinese. Like these random nerdy white dudes who speak American accents. Like, oh, ni hao, wo hui jiang zhong wen. And it, it, it freaks me out in the city. And they just come up to you. Yeah, so. Well, they just, they're, they're devoted. They have that drive. That um, <laughs> they have that that strong belief that um, if it takes ten years to convert someone, then it's it's almost worth it. Well, it probably is worth it, you know. Like, yeah, know. I mean, they they also really oddly enough, they're obsessive basketball because they always play basketball with the international students down in Melbourne. Um, so, and uh, one of the professional players, uh, I think, Jimmy Fadet. He was also a Mormon, and he's now, I think, the top scorer in the Chinese Basketball Association. Mm, very suspicious. <laughs> so, um, is that a connection? I don't know. That's something somebody would look into. Random. But, yeah. Um, has there been anything else interesting you've you've travelled to? Like, I know you went to the grottos down in Dunhuang. Did um, I have a very good impression of of Gansu in general? Like I know it's the um, economically the the province isn't doing well overall, but um, at least like the tourist areas are very very well developed. Um, the the grottos were really nice. Unfortunately, like you're not allowed to take any photographs or take any videos. But um, yeah, like the the paintings are well preserved. Unfortunately, like a lot of the art or some of the statues were stolen by. Uh, you know, European travelers from the past. Um, but yeah. yeah, a lot of it is still there. And so it's super nice. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's basically like where Cottage Converge, you know, it's a Silk Road, basically starts there. So it's, it's crazy. I really want to go and have a look. 
But sadly, yeah, that's where to... that's I'm going next. As soon as the fucking borders are open, I'm heading again. So, <laughs> are you gonna bike around it or <sighs> like uh, Jerry? Uh, I'd love to ride a bike, but I don't know. I'll probably like limit myself to like two or three weeks. So, looks like the train goes all the way out there now. So I'm pretty keen to. I don't know if it's a high speed one. I think it's still the little old greenies. I'm pretty sure the high speed one goes all the way out to uh... Xinjiang. Mm. Yes. Uh, uh, see, when I went to Duhuang, like I took one of the the old green ones. Uh, the green ones don't go all the way to Dunhuang exactly, but they went to like a small town called Liuyuan, and that's like a couple of hours drive away from Dunhuang. Um, that one was, uh, uh, I can't say I had a very good experience in that little town because like, I thought there would be like, um, bus or transportation service, like at these, for some reason I thought they would have these at, at irregular hours, but, uh, I, my dad and I, like we arrived there at around like two or three in the morning and, um, yeah, we, we ended up being kind of stuck in that town. Uh, it was really, really cold at night too. And we. You know, we tried to find ways to get to Dunhuang because our hotel was in Dunhuang. But, uh, oh, you know, the buses weren't open until 8 in the morning. And we actually tried to go see, uh, like, the security guards and see, like, ask them if we can stay in their, uh, in their like, security outpost. But they wouldn't let us. So we ended up, um, like, sleeping, essentially, in one of the uh, internet cafes. <laughs> oh, sick. They have, they have tech cafes down there? Oh, yeah, because that's, that's like the most backwater place in old China you probably just went to, like the most oh, developed area. It was a super area. small town. Essentially, like the town was essentially one road and everything was on that one road. Oh, um, shit. But yeah, it, had, it had an internet cafe um, and the guy was, he looked really <laughs> tired. But anyways, the next morning we get to the, the bus station and we're waiting it for, we're waiting for it to open, right? But then like, um, 20 minutes later, we see a guy walking down the street, and as he's walking to the station, he pulls out a hat from his from his bag, puts it on, and uh, he takes his keys and he opens the bus station. And uh, so he's like, the bus what? driver. Yeah. The, so the guy from the internet cafe is also the guy like running oh, the bus station. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? What's the name of the city? What is his face? Yuyuan. So like, uh, Pinyin was it L I U, uh, Y U A N. I've never heard of it. Is, is that even like you a county it city? I, is honestly, it like a village or something? Uh. I don't know. It's part of like it's part of Guazhou. So Guazhou is like the main um, oh Guazhou. city, I guess. That's. It. But uh, yeah, Liuyuan is like a small town. I just thought it was really funny. It felt like a scene out of a cartoon. Where this one guy just was working all the jobs in this town. <laughs> oh, you must have met my cousin. Like, no, that's you. No, 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 that was my cousin. <laughs> I looked it up. Oh, it's a township. Yeah, Liu Yuanchen. Okay. If you were in Guacho, I would have made some sense. Like, like um, yeah, that, that, that place must have like 10 people. Like, so oh, very few. The entire county's had 100,000 people. That is like one of the smallest counties I, I, I've seen population wise. <laughs> So it must be yeah. like 10,000. Yeah, that's yeah, crazy. I, I'm still happy I went, I guess, uh, in, in hindsight. Um, but like at the time, it wasn't really fun, especially because like I was in charge of my dad and my dad, you know, he's 60. And uh, I felt really bad dragging him over and like having to sleep in an in internet cafe. <laughs> oh, so, man. I can't imagine the hygiene down there as well. Just like, 
Um, Wait, imagine what? The hygiene. Because I remember going to like, oh. Hunan, like 19, in the 2000s, like 90s. And it was just like, you had to basically poo in a ditch. Yeah, I was like, oh. Well, uh, I, I think it was mostly fine. But like, yeah, there, there were rats in the internet cafe. Um, oh, wow. And then also at the bus station, there was like little outpost outside to go like, you know, uh, go to the toilet. It was a little outpost and it was, a sh- it was hidden by like a little brick wall. I didn't realize it, but on the wall, it's, it was written in Chinese, like um, to use the toilet one yuan. And what? so like it was written on it, like in, in graffiti paint. And as I came, I came out and as I was walking back to the bus station, then this this elderly man gets up from his chair and he says, hey, uh, you, you owe me one yen. <laughs> and I was confused. I, I don't even know if he was the guy that's in charge. Random or, or I, don't, I don't know if that was a, a scam or anything, but like, it, it doesn't matter. It's one yen. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like 20 I, cents. One yen. <laughs> oh. Dude, that's like probably yeah, so, half so his salary. I don't know if it was a scam or not, but like, I don't mind. And you know what? The, he probably needs a lot more than I do. I, I'm just surprised that it's so underdeveloped because Dornan's like one of the most famous places um, for tourism and like for a lot of people because it's like, you know, and like, okay, the Chinese government needs to like set that up, you know, and, and just... Oh, oh, but like that was Luoyuan. Um, Dunhuang is actually very nice. Oh, as a city or? Uh, actually, like I found the city. I, I haven't seen, I guess, like the outer areas of Dunhuang, but... At least, like, the inner city is actually very, very nice. And I found it, like, you would imagine, like, a city around, like, desert areas would be really, really dusty. But turns out, like, they they take really good care of the city. Super clean. It's got a really nice uh, statue in the middle. Um, Really nice hotels that were a lot cheaper than the rest of China. Like, uh, I brought my dad there. My dad was like, oh, my goodness, this is the nicest hotel room I've ever been in. Oh, really? Like, it wasn't that, it wasn't that expensive. Um, I, I'm assuming it's just a lot. Of, a lot of was just really, really cheap in Dunhuang. Yeah, I think it's. I think uh, Gansu has the lowest salaries in all of China or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's the unfortunate part is that yeah, the province isn't doing very well. Um, but at least like it's getting a lot of tourism. Uh, so a lot of tourist money, I believe, comes in, and it's it it probably helps a lot. I always, yeah, I always wanted to move to Danzhou just to get a lot of, like, beef noodles for cut prices, you know, but um, maybe I, I should, you mm. know, while, while it's still, you know, cheap and you don't get, because if you go to, like, Shanghai or Beijing now, I mean, you're, you're there. It's so expensive, um, even for foreigners at the moment. And, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Like, um, I actually found, like, uh, Lanzhou, I guess, I found it more organic in the way that, like, Dunhuang, I believe, was, I think because it's really important for tourism, they probably work on it a lot to make sure that the city looks really nice. Lanzhou is nice as well, of course, but like it seemed a lot more organic as in like, um, it, it seems like the city planning is more because it's always been like this, you know, um, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it was pretty much, I think most of it, a lot of it was a lot smaller than it, it was just a few years ago because it's, kind of build up just for tourism. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, it, it probably grew a lot. Yeah. Well, you know, Lanzhou's always been quite an important city along that route. Um, as is Dornholm, but this, yeah. it, it has actually actual farmland. You can grow crops nearby and not 
starve to death or whatever, you know. So it's it's a organic city, yeah, definitely. Um, For sure. Yeah, you got a lot of good stories, man. I need to go and travel there sometime because that, that's where like all the good halal food is. Um, I guess Xinjiang's better than food, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, I kept thinking like when I was in Yuyan, there was um, there was a bus like at the bus stop. They'd say like, oh, uh, you know, buy this ticket to go to Dunhuang. But then there was also a ticket to go to Hami, right? And Hami is, uh, I guess, it was the next town over, but in Xinjiang. Oh, really? So that oh, oh yeah, because it's right yeah. on the border. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Th- that township of Yuyan was like right at the intersection. Because I believe like the big national road divides or it forks into one road that goes down south to Dunhuang, then one that goes west to Hami. Yeah, yeah. So, that okay. sounds good. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm looking at the bottom like provinces. They're all like in the west, like Qinghai, Yunnan, Guizhou, Gansu. Yeah. I, I hope the bottom road basically helps that a lot um, since it goes through mm. Gansu and into the stands. Yeah, it's it. It just sounds. Have you ever been to? Have you ever been to Qinghai, uh, Timur? No, I want to. Really badly. Yeah, I want to as well. So I was going to ask you if you had experience over there. We should all go together. That's what we should do. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because it. Yeah, oh, fun. as soon as the bloody borders open. So yeah, we're locked how, in. How much? How much more of uni have you got to go? Oh, I'm graduating in uh, June. Oh, okay. Are they going to let you stick around then or are they going to send you back to Canada? (laughs) Well, okay. I essentially get a month after graduation. So my visa runs until July. But what I'm doing is I'm um, I'm applying for jobs to, uh, you know, I'll try and switch over to a work visa so that I can stay. Just because like Canada is not doing too great. Uh, Like it's, it's fine. But the it's, it's like a lot of Western countries where it just, um, there isn't a lot of hope for the future. You know, like young people, um, you know, the job market doesn't look too good. And then also just consider that COVID is still a very real thing in Canada. Yeah. Um, whereas like it's controlled in China. And I, my, my parents are saying the same thing. They say, you know what, if you stay in China and, and just find work there and build, you know, build your way up from there, it would probably be better than to go back to Canada and, you know, try to build yourself up back again. Because I'd be back at ground zero if I go back to Canada. Yeah. And I imagine housing's expensive in Canada, just like everywhere else in the West. Yeah. Um, see, I, I, I don't know how I would have, like, a good quality of life. Like, you know, um, I'd be coming, I'd, I'd, you know, of course, have a degree and everything but like i just i, I have very little expectations as to yeah. what i would be able to actually get in canada what's the, like, i what's, i feel like how expensive is it yeah. to study in china though like is the school fees expensive because i know a lot of foreigners get really can, can study for free on some degrees yeah, yeah it depends um I, I do believe most foreigners are here on a uh on a scholarship usually like the government scholarship or the Confucius scholarship. Uh, and then those that aren't often are given like a deal by the school where the school says, oh, we can offer you a tuition-free waiver, which is what I got for my first year. Um, I guess like, you know, they choose who they think deserves like a tuition-free waiver. 
And then uh, I think normally the tuition fee would be like 60,000 RMB per, uh, I think per year. Okay, that's pretty cheap um, for a master's. It's still very cheap, yeah. And But like some schools, like I, I think other schools like Fudan, it might go up to like 120,000 though. But like don't quote me on that because I, I forget what it was. But like one of the big reasons why I went to Jenda, uh first of all, just because, you know, I, <laughs> one of them was because Jenda actually offered a tuition-free waiver, whereas mm-hmm. like Fudan did not. Um, but then also like, my mom knew someone who went to school uh, or who, you know, I, I forget if she just lived in China or if she went to school at Fudan. But uh, my mom was asking her for me, you know, which school should he go to? Should he go to Jenda or should he go to Fudan uh, for uh, international relations? And she essentially said, oh, he should definitely go to Fudan. She said, because uh, she said Fudan would have more international education, you know, he would learn a lot more international theories of international relations, international politics. Whereas, you know, if he goes to Janda, he'll have to learn more, you know, local political theories. He'd have to learn Marxism. So, you know, she says, definitely go to Fudan. So in that case, what I did was, okay, I'm going to go to Janda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, Janda, it's like where they basically order, where they get all the cadres and the top level like officials you know they go there for like their masters of politics or something because they get learn about marxism there it's like basically what's made for so um, yeah yeah although like a surprising amount of professors i don't think they're very marxist but that might just be my perspective as someone who you know was in the international students program i mean i know quite a few people are doing law there um i don't know how that works and uh and the australians and apparently it's quite hard to get into um and they say like it's not as bad as the western press makes it out to be it's just another university because <laughs> yeah yeah because a lot of westerners they they oh, make it look like as though it's some kind of like school where you become like the next chairman mao yeah oh no it's a great school I, to be completely honest like I've, i personally have a really good experience um i think other foreign students they or international students i should say like they don't um they probably don't have the same kind of experience as I did kind of thing, but like, or they might not say the same things, but like I'd say it's, it's a very good school. It's uh, I think it's like the, the top school for social studies. Um, no, like it's really good. It's up there. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, um, where did you go? Where'd you do your bachelor's then? I did my bachelor's in my local. Okay. Like I did my first two years at a French university called like university of St. Boniface. Um, but then, uh, I ended up being a graduate from the university of Manitoba. And that's just because like, while the French university is its own institution, it's its own university. Like they have a lot of like cooperation with the, uh, the English ones, like with the university of Manitoba. So I was able to really easily transfer over to university of Manitoba. And, uh, that's where, you know, I, I only really did one year at university of Manitoba, but I ended up getting a degree from there. Oh, that's the, the old trick that a lot of people do. Wait, so you went to a university in France? Is that where? Oh, no, no, in French. Uh, oh, we okay. have a local French language university. Ah, okay, I see. We don't, we don't have that in Australia. We just have English universities. So uh, did you have French at home growing up? Or, yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, 
essentially, uh, my parents would make sure that we only speak French at home because it's really, really, really easy to lose your language. Yeah. Um, right. I, like I know a lot of people who used to be really fluent as kids, but then, you know, as you grow up and as you're, you know, you're an adult now, like a lot of times they only understand, but then they can't really reply to you in French anymore. Mm. Um, so yeah, we spoke French at the home. Uh, it was French at school, right, from elementary until university, or the first two years from university. Um, but yeah, like it's English everywhere else, right? Like TV's in English. We have like one French channel, uh, two French radio stations. Um, yeah. Oh, okay. so you're like a, is that what you call a Canuck? Or is that not the right term? Canuck. Oh, no, that's... <laughs> No, we uh or Canadian with an E. I don't know which one. Yeah. I have no idea what you're talking about. Is you know like the Americans they call them Canucks, like or something? Okay, so yeah, Americans also call us Canucks, but then also like Canuck. I'm not even sure where that comes from. Because like even um it's a slur? Oh, I don't know. I no, it's not I don't call it a slur, no way. Uh like isn't there like a hockey team called the Vancouver Canucks or something? Is that the Leaves? I don't know. I was trying to leaves. Yeah. Oh, there is. Yeah, right. Oh, the Vancouver right. Canucks. Yeah, the NHL yeah. team. Uh, I don't watch NHL. Sorry, man. We we actually do have an like a uh, ice hockey league in Australia, which is so stupid. No, we have no ice. Yeah. Um. It, uh, there's a team in Melbourne. Like, I don't know who the hell watches it, but no, like, no one watches. No, like it'd be very semi-professional at best, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Australian Ice Hockey League. Yeah, yeah. Because we don't even have ice here. How the hell? Like, that's a waste of money. Um, so We've got I, one ice skating ring in Brisbane. That's probably where they play, yeah. I should go sometime. Yeah, they probably get paid, like, you know, fucking pie or something per game. I, like, yeah, but I just noticed that because I went to a coffee shop once and they, like, we sponsored a local team. I'm just like... Wow, what a waste of money! You probably get like nothing back. But anyway, uh, I know nothing against ice hockey. Just never really. We don't have it. <laughs> uh, I don't like. I'm I'm actually a really ter- terrible skater. Um, like I can skate, but I can't really skate like backwards. I can only really go forwards, and I have trouble stopping. Like I can kind of stop, but not really. So you never um, shown off your skills against the old people that skate in Beijing, and <laughs> oh, I don't know, like, um. Yeah, just people think I can skate because I'm Canadian, but like oftentimes, like even by Canadians, I'm called a fake Canadian. Uh, <laughs> mostly because like, my parents never got me into hockey. Like they never really got me into those. Like I can't ski. I can't like I can skate kind of. I don't snowboard. Like Manitoba is a flat province, so if, yeah. like there are no hills to snowboard on. Like I, I'm not gonna ski. Um, wow. I don't know. So like I just a lot of the winter sports I just can't really do. And while my mom's brother was really into hockey, I was like, I never was. So, There's a lot of um, um, like winter sports are getting really popular in China. Like a lot of people were going skiing, yeah. going to Jilin and stuff. And I, I, I kind of, I just don't get it. Cause I, I suck at all that. All I can do is toboggan and I fall out of the toboggan board anyway. It's fucking hard, man. Like I don't blame you. Mm. Like there's, there, I think there was a ice hockey player from China actually got into the NHL or something. I'm like, wh- where did he train? Well, like where, where the hell did he train? Like he, he just grew up in a snow mountain. This is not, not possible. Yeah. It always it, seemed like yeah, a rich yeah. person's activity. Yeah. Cause you need so much gear. It's like, it's like uh, playing tennis, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Right. No, either, I probably either like, um, you're from 
I guess, a financially well-off family or you're from the North, I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm just trying to see what Chinese have a team. Oh, there's actually a league in China? Okay. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I'm actually like, I'm looking forward to see how the China hockey team does at the Olympics in, you know, at Beijing 2022. Because like, uh, I, I keep hearing stuff, you know, Canadian media is going to talk about how like uh, China's national hockey team or like their, their Olympic team has hired Canadian coaches in preparation. Well, who else would you hire then? Like, is that oh, okay. older coaches? <laughs> Sorry, I don't know. I don't know anything about hockey. I mean, America plays <laughs> in Russia and the other ice yeah. countries, like Finland. Yeah, usually the really good countries in hockey are like, you know, those Canada, US, uh, Sweden, and Russia. Yeah, like they have snow, you know. That's why we need desert yeah. sports, you know. Like, so Australia could be good at those, like hot sports and hot weather. Like, uh, I, it just doesn't work. You need like okay. snow. Cricket, yeah, that's a shit sport, though. Yeah, sorry, you'd be like, what is the? Uh, how come China hasn't done historically well at football? Soccer. Uh, sorry, like I called it football because you know I, it, it's still soccer in Canada as well. It's oh no, uh, I just get confused because like because we call football something else. We have like three sports that call it that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I meant soccer. So like soccer, football. Like how. Why has China not historically done well at uh, soccer football? I know a lot about that topic, actually. Um, a lot of it's down to corruption. Um, so basically, you notice a lot of the people that do get into those teams nowadays are just rich kids. Um, so parents, um, they pay the coach to get their, their children to play. But when they, China was actually kind of okay, like in the early 2000s, all those children that did play in those teams were actually from very poor families. And a lot of them were winning scholarships to go to Brazil and stuff to train, from like the age of 10. So they were good enough to play like even low-level Premier League teams, um, but nowadays it's just more and more rich kids. Just basically, they can actually buy into the club, and plus, China has less players at a country of 1.4 billion than uh, England. Um, with oh, 60 million, yeah. So there's not many people playing because it's seen as high of a risk compared to a stable job, because you know only like one out of a 10,000 people make it, you know, into the pros. So no one plays it and you'll re- start realizing most of the people that do end up joining the team, there's like three Korean Chinese people, two, three Hui Chinese, a few Uyghurs and the rest are Han. There's a huge amount of minorities in the top teams. Um, it could yeah. to do with, you know, there's really nothing to do. Uh, maybe there's related to poverty or maybe there's more, it's just more, less, um, Han Chinese are more obsessed with, I don't know, just being stable. Because the best player um, uh, currently, uh, Zhang Lingpeng, he's a Hui Chinese guy. And the other best player is Wu Lei, he's also a Hui Chinese. So very proud of that. But the thing is that they're the best in China, which is still very shit. <laughs> so, um, and the best player back then, which was Go Hongbo, a Beijing guy, also a Hui Chinese guy. And I, I loved soccer when I was a kid. I played it a lot. Um, but I, you know, I was never that good. But uh, I know there's a lot of... Um, Uyghurs now they're trying to recruit a lot of like half Chinese people who have like have a Chinese mom or dad overseas, and uh, right. that's meant to make it better, but it's not really helping. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's, a, there's a guy called Elkerson. I don't know if you know who he is. No, I don't know. So he he he's born in Brazil, uh, grew up in Brazil. He came to China at like 25. Uh, now he's plays the Chinese team. Okay. Uh, he's called Elkerson now. Um, he's fully Brazilian. He can't. He can barely speak any Chinese. 
But because he's lived in China long enough, oh. he, he can play for the Chinese national team. You can look it up. It's pretty funny. Um, I, think I've, I think I've seen him, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he has a Cantonese name and a Chinese name. Um, and that's probably going to happen more common now. Um, there's some half African players as well. But yeah, Chinese football is just a fucking joke in general. Um, there's so oh, many man. Korean players there. Like, um, did you hear about the story of Yanbian uh, White Tigers? No, I haven't. I, so Yanbian um, is a very small city um, down in northeast yeah. China, Jilin. It's a, it's, it's the basically the capital of the Korean Chinese. Or the Koreans right, there. there's a very large Korean ethnic Korean population. Yeah, there, right? and they made it to the top league in the Super League uh, for a small town. Nice. Like, yeah, um, and that just shows how strong the Korean Chinese players are. Um, and yeah. they went bankrupt a few years later, though, because they overspent. Uh-huh. But, but yeah, so uh-huh. okay. uh, if Korea was ever united, I think Korea would have like a World Cup winning team um, if they ever do. United. Not likely. Yeah, they're very. I was good. also like interested. There's uh, apparently just recently they formed like their first like uh, Tibet provincial team. So like, I I, I kind of wonder how uh, like I wonder if Tibetan players would be really really good considering that like they play at high elevations. So I wonder if you know if they play anywhere else if they'd have an advantage over uh, like over other players. They could probably do the Bolivia trick where um, Bolivians play at home and they win like half the games just because no one else can take the high altitude. No. That's the right. way. Yeah, I know the current basketball team. There's like a, one of the starters is Uyghur, another one is Kyrgyz, and the other three are Han Chinese. Yeah, so it, it's very diverse in the Chinese sporting teams. Um, I, I I do hope parents um, they they are changing now. They're like starting to make the kids have more balanced education, um, like learning doing sports and no longer just playing piano or you know learning math. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Are you into into soccer a lot, or oh, myself, no. Because Canadians, no, doing, I... Canadians, Canada's doing really well in the recent years with um soccer. They, like they got yeah. they, the the women's team did very well. Um, the men's team not at all. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, definitely the women's. Um, I think that's same with China. The Chinese women's team is like top five in the world always. Nice. Yeah. I, for some reason, yeah, I think the American, Canadian, and and Chinese women's team are really, really good. It's the opposite. <laughs> yeah. But the Canadian men's team, they have some great players. Um, I think one of them is like Haitian, this guy or something. He, he, or Sierra Leonean or some guys. Yeah, they're great. Watch out for them. Yeah. They might be competing soon. But, um, nice. I'll look out. Yeah. But uh, thanks for coming on, though, John. And um, do you have anything else to want you want to ask, Regan? Or? Um, uh, no, I think... That was pretty much it. Yeah. yeah. I was I just always whenever I've been to China, I always wondered what those red armbands meant. And I just assumed it was someone who was a member of, of the party. But um it makes much more sense that they're volunteers. Oh, you don't even have to be part of the party to join them actually. And I think they actually hold the, democratic elections at that level for the chiefs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um yeah, Reagan, the, the armbands are they're different depending on who wears them. So like the Baoans would have their own armbands and then people uh, working for the um, uh, like the workers committee uh, at, the, at the grassroots level would have like, their own armbands. Um, but yes, at the grassroots level, like the neighborhood committee leaders are all voted democratically. As far oh, as okay. Oh, yeah, cool. that's the, I think the only level that's actually democratic. But um, yeah. That's actually one of the reasons why, like, uh, at least, 
I think that having these neighborhood communities is really, really good. Um, because yeah, while in, in normal situations, people might think that they don't do very much, but like during situations like, for example, this pandemic, they've been absolutely, absolutely hands down, really, really important. Yeah, I looked up uh, the um, actual yeah. goals. It's, most of it's all about supporting people and mobilizing uh, and supporting yeah. basically the upper areas. Basically what you said, yeah. And then the fact that like, they're usually people that are from the area, right? Like they're from the neighborhood. And so people have a lot of trust in them. Uh, and so that's really good. Yeah. Right. It, it isn't just someone shipped out from some massive bureaucracy or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. That only exactly happens normal. in uh, villages, I think, in the rural areas where they think they need like an experienced guy to govern the village and make it, you know, eradicate poverty, poverty and stuff. Yeah. But not, not in the city right. areas. Yeah. Yeah. Because the, 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 the failures of, of COVID response in, in the West and, and unfortunately in Melbourne, um, as um, our previous guests have, have said, um, was, was it's been neoliberalism and it's the stripping back of, of society um, and that corporations and stuff were just not able to, to, to do the role that was required. And then um, when we had something like this, um, there's just, there's no one there. There was talk of bringing in the army in Melbourne to, to sort some stuff out. You know, it's just ridiculous. Whereas it really does seem like China was able to mobilize and, yeah. you know, did, did, did ever, people ever use the term like people's war and stuff or? Um, I, I wouldn't know, you know, like, um, I, you know, as I said before, I'm okay at Chinese, but I'm not like, I'm not fluent. So if they, if they ever said it, uh, I don't really know what people's war would even be in Chinese. Um, it mostly be like, um, the terms I saw is just like, you know, like a, a common goal or common struggle for like, you know, healthcare and all that safety. But uh, for this, definitely. Yes. Like I was given, for example, like a, um, uh, like by the, the Hadian streets level administration, like I was given a certificate with a stamp and everything saying like, thank you. Uh, comrade uh, Lu Tani, <laughs> Chinese name, and it said like thank you for you know uh, coming up to you know serve uh, you know uh, answering to the call of so there was that type of language in that as well yeah yeah it's meant you meant to be pretty proud like if you had a Chinese mom she'll probably post it on her WeChat I'm like look at my son he's such a good person you know helping the country <laughs> yeah. yeah i i was really proud i i felt really it was really really special for me to get that certificate from the uh from the the, the streets level government no honestly that's something good you've done like you've literally probably saved lives you know what, what you've done there uh, i i just see like i wouldn't put it that way like i mean uh, no because any person that you stop from you know violating the lockdown or whatever or Right. Well, every time you delivered food for people, that yeah, you know, that would have helped. Uh, yeah. Just, I yeah. mean, a lot of people yeah. who go work as expats in another country or, or study, um, it, they, I guess, they don't have that feeling that they've contributed in their time in some way. And I, hopefully, you do feel that. And yeah, like, yeah. Uh, like there's very few. Um, like, like you, you and I think David Fishman are probably the two that actually sort of I know that kind of tries to integrate to the. Um, you know, right. or not, or yeah. at least don't look down on um, the, the locals, like some people I've met, you know, 
Um, yeah. Oh no, dude. Like I always, <laughs> I really tried. Like I don't know if you saw my re- my recent post on Twitter, where like I really want to join people playing uh, Mafia or Werewolf. Dude, that game is addictive, my... man. Like, oh, I know. Like I used to play that when I was a kid with like other people in elementary school, but like you guys can just try. People... Um, what's that game? The online game they play now, like the one in the space. The one in space. Um. What's it called? I feel like I'm behind on that. You know, everyone's playing that computer game. Because um, I just know about, like, Wang Zhongyao or, like, or Trudzi. <laughs> oh, dude, I was so good at Wang Zhongyao, man. Um, Were you? <laughs> yeah, I was the Wang Zhe. I played for one season, though, only. Um, Among Us. You know, that's what they're playing. That's the same game. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. Anyway, let's not talk about games. We'll be here all night. I'm going to work tomorrow. <laughs> true, true. Anyway, um, thanks for coming on, Johnny. I'm going to work too. It's only 12. Okay. <laughs> we should talk more later. Cause... Oh, okay. I see.